Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Been with us all week long and nothing slowed down. When Donald Trump's involved, there's always the unexpected. That happened again this week. Uh, we're going to talk to Brett Baer in a matter of moments about that. And Neil McDonough, uh, he's played one of the finest, mostly villainous characters uh, in Hollywood over the last 25 years. One of his most recent is uh, with Yellowstone. He's got a brand new movie out. He just joined us on television. The new movie's called The Shift. It's still top five in the country. Uh, and him and his wife produced it. So he's going to be with us shortly. Another reason to get Fox Nation, you'll be able to see the stream. And you can catch us on all those devices like Alexa and everything else, uh, like Google. Uh, but let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. You know, it's serious betrayal. It's extremely frustrating. I know that the U.S. has come up with all sorts of proposals, but it's not what the Russians are after. The only problem is it's my life that's draining away. Why will he do this? You know, it's five years. It's unfathomable to me that they left me behind. That is Paul Whelan talking about being stuck in Russia, weakness. That's exactly how Joe Biden's foreign policy have us looking around the world, from slow walking and not talking about why we should back our Ukraine slow walking weapons, I should say, to allowing a bunch of thugs in Yemen to rocket ships out of vital shipping lanes, plus another terrible hostage swap uh, being uh, and also being warned by China. They're just going to go take Taiwan and there's nothing we can do about it. We have to be willing to rumble. Number two, my mayor is blaming everyone except the person who needs to get the blame. And that is President Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, who are responsible for protecting and securing our borders and for having a functional immigration system. They're not calling out Secretary Mayorkas for letting asylum seekers come to this country under false pretense and then giving them court cases 10 years from now. That is Raymond Lopez, a alderman over in Chicago, a, bro- a, a border overwhelmed, a president who could not care less. Blue cities beginning to pay a heavy price for their sanctuary policies. And the CBP is forced to deal with the human flood of illegals like we have never seen before in our country's history. And Congress is going home for Christmas. Number one. I think this kind of action of stretching the law, taking these hyper-aggressive positions to try to uh, knock Trump out of the race uh, are counterproductive. They backfire. They have from day one, Bill Barr weighing in, Trump trials and persecution, huge Colorado Trump ban fallout as blue state radical judges try to ban Trump from that ballot. Now California wants to do the same. We talk about it, what it means for the GOP horse race and leave it 
to Joe Biden to make it all worse as he sits down for a year-ender with Bill Muir? No, no. Brett Baer? No. Oh, I mean Conan O'Brien. Brett Baer joins us now. Hey, Brett, was it between you and Conan? Uh, and why do you think Conan got the nod? His height? <laughs> hey, um, listen, we've been asking since Joe Biden won the South Carolina primary. That's how many months we've been asking every couple of weeks for an interview with the then candidate, then president of the United States. And um, we have yet to break through. Uh, we almost had it at the Super Bowl. And we were getting ready for that interview that's traditional uh, when we had it, Fox had it, and uh, didn't didn't pan out. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how many interviews he's doing, but Conan O'Brien, we'll see what um, what his fastball looks like. Well, the thing is, I have no problem with light interviews. They all do the late night hosts now. It used to be kind of unique, but now, oh, okay. You know, be, I think President Obama did between two ferns. But you just got to mix it in with the year-ender. Brett, just think about the any president that is running for re-election and has a shot at saying, I'm going to do a year-ender, where you could talk about what you're running on. You could use that. Okay, I'll answer some of the questions. But let me also use this as an opportunity to rip my future opponent and let everybody know how great I am and what, what great things I'm about to do. It looks like they're going to pass on that opportunity. Is that what you hear? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I haven't heard anything about an interview, and clearly we haven't received any any word about one. So we'll keep trying. Yeah. Uh, I agree with you. Listen, you, when you're an interviewee, you can answer the questions however you want to answer them. You know, sometimes uh, inquisitors are a little bit more forceful than others, but uh, you have the choice and obviously the power of an editorial moment to kind of focus things as you get ready to head into an election year. One would think they'd want that opportunity, but um, I'm not sure this White House is in that is in that mindset. I want you to hear uh, what President Biden's what's complaint was about our business. Cut one. I think it's beyond social media. I think it's the media generally. Yeah. And I'm not blaming the media, but right. things have changed. I mean, yeah. who, who are the editors anymore? Mm-hmm. I don't know if someone's saying, no, you can't print that in this paper because that's not accurate. There's no editors anymore. Really? <laughs> Where did that come from? I mean, we don't have editors. We constantly have editors. Yeah, I, I don't know where that came from. I Listen, I know his broad comment about social media. I mean, there's a lot sure. of bad stuff out there that gets out there and is misinformation, disinformation. Um, but as far as the media as a whole, um, there's all kinds of opinion programs. But, um, you know, you, you've got to be able to face it head on and realize that maybe some of the problems are not the media. I would say that. So one of the interesting things is when an issue like Israel comes up and it divides a party, uh, when an interview comes up with the border, it is divided the country. But now two-thirds of the country, I would say, uh, unscientifically, see the border and see it as an unbelievable problem that needs to be addressed. It's number two or number one in almost every poll. But, and listen to a Democratic mayor in New York talk about how the federal government has left him, let him down, cut nine. I am lost and I'm confused on this uh, topic on why we still, almost 20 months later, we're still talking about this issue and it has inundated the city, over 150000 uh, $5 billion in our budget, $12 billion over the three-year period. It is really impacting the basic services in our, in our city and we need a relief.
So no one's going to read us the Statue of Liberty anymore when we complain about the hotels and cities being overrun, ball fields being uh, taken over by uh, soft-sided tents. So this has really changed. In 2016, the Republicans were afraid to bring it up. Remember the autopsy, Brett? Don't bring up being tough on the border. It's anti-Hispanic. That ship has sailed. Yeah, and that, listen, you look at the polls in Hispanic communities and Latino communities. Yeah. There is concern about border and uh, the handling of the border. You're talking more than 12,000 a day. You see these pictures where it's, you know, like a, it's, it's the lines of people, you know, going across that border, Bill Malugin talking to them as they come across where you guys want to go. Um, it's It's really staggering, and I think it has changed. The dynamic has changed. And how to talk about it has changed. Uh, and I think that that goes towards the Republican side. Uh, but, you know, you have a lot of time in between now and then. We'll see how they deal with this issue do, into the new year. Do your sources say that they're going to get something significant? I, because that's what I'm hearing over and over again. Something significant is happening uh, in order to get the Ukraine, Taiwan, and uh, Israel funding some asylum changes at the border. What are you thinking? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think your definition of a significant is is the key part. I mean, when it talks about border security, that's where Republicans in the House, their mindset is first. Um, so asylum rule changes seem like they're around the edges, but uh, it's important. I think they'll get to some deal. Whether it can pass the House is really the question. It's not going to be H.R. 2, which was the House bill on immigration they passed um, when they first got in, in office. So, Brett Fair, I guess, lastly, as usual, in the Trump world, nothing uh, nothing is predictable. And that decision in Colorado to decide to take the president off the ballot that's going to end up in the Supreme Court has taken over all conversation when it has to do with Iowa, New Hampshire, or running for president. Here is President Biden on that ruling yesterday. Cut 14. Is Trump an insurrectionist, sir? Well, I think certainly you're self-evident. You saw it all. Now, whether the 14th Amendment applies, I'll let the court make that decision. But he certainly supported an insurrection. No question about it. None. Zero. And uh, he seems to be doubling down on about everything. Yeah, right. Uh, Tell that to Jack Smith. He hasn't charged him with it. I thought that was an interesting take. I thought he had a chance to be above it and say, listen, I don't think any state should be taking away anybody's right to run for president unless you're Jefferson Davis. But he didn't say that. He should have. And that would have given him points, really, across the board, Democrats and Republicans, independents. Um, Listen, there are other states that are trying this maneuver now, but all it has done, and you heard Bill Barr say this, but it, it is just real. It has fueled not only a fundraising boom to uh, the former president, but also every other candidate is asked about it at every stop now. So if you're Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley and your question is, uh, you know, what do you think about Colorado? And you have to say it's ridiculous and blah, blah, blah. Again, the oxygen all goes to the former president, and um, no one can look at this from a political spectrum and say this does not help uh, his cause. Yeah. You know what I worry about, and no one brings it up, and I even flip the channels? I worry if the Supreme Court punts on this or they don't rule on it. Do you realize what happens? California's next. The lieutenant governor says, I'm doing everything I can to kick him off the ballot. There's about nine more challenges in nine more states. 
And can you imagine if some some of these states just kick him off? He gets the nomination. No one buys the result because he wasn't able to compete. Senate races, congressional races are all affected because people don't show up. Your candidate is not on the ballot. Uh, and then there's going to be redemption and revenge the next time yeah. there's a charismatic is, Democrat. I, I worry about that. I uh, know. Well, you shouldn't. Because the John Roberts Supreme Court, there is no way Good. that they're not going to deal with this. There's no way. It's just too big uh, as far as um, – a, you know, the health of the republic, it is too big not to come in and weigh in one way or the other. But um, I, I think they're going to get in and get in fast before other states start to dominate them. Good. I could focus on the Giants offensive line now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, Brett, uh, your special was excellent. Your book is excellent. The special went on last week to rescue the Constitution, George Washington and the Fragile American Experiment. And then you have a children's book out now as people scramble to get that gift, the History Club duel across time. Um, do you want to take, tell me why you tackle both these? Yeah, I mean, it's the same issue, is is trying to get the narrative of history and make it readable and engage, you know, especially our generation and younger. And then to get really young kids, a graphic novel is kind of where, where that space is. So um, did both, and both are doing great, and I've got a lot of great feedback. So just like your book, it's a, it gives you pleasure to uh, to be able to bring history back to life. Yeah, I just want to apologize to your family ahead of time because I know you had plans Saturday night. But with my show, it's going to be my special Saturday at 9. You have to change your plans to watch it unless you can learn to work your DVR. <laughs> I will record it right now. You will? Okay, good. Yeah. All right, 9 o'clock Saturday. <laughs> Teddy and All Booker right. T, baby. So we're going to watch nice. it tonight. Brad, you work, you work, are you going through the tape? You playing tonight? I am. I'm right. going through the tape. I'm, I'm taking off tomorrow, but I'm, uh, I'll be on tonight. Jen, uh, Jack Keane's going to talk about some of the stuff we're seeing in Ukraine and Israel. And uh, obviously, we'll follow all the latest. It's, you know, day to day, even this, you know, holiday season, we're getting breaking news I know. every night. Every night. I hear you. Uh, Brett, thanks so much. By the way, great job with Liz Cheney. You brought up the point that I brought up uh, to her, too, is you agree on almost everything Trump did until the end. Um, and now she's become a huge critic. But I know it's tough because we're both fans of hers, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, I mean, she spent a lot of time. I know her very well. Yeah. Uh, but you got to ask questions that challenge her. Was it, what was it like afterwards? Okay. Oh, it was fine. It was fine. You know, she knew what she was uh, coming into. And, you know, that any interview that I have, I'm going to go from the other side always. I mean, you're always going to be devil's advocate. So uh, I think I think it was great. And, uh, you know, she made her points. I think that uh, some of it in in history's perspective is going to be interesting to look back on whether she was right in the moment or or over the top. Go get him. Brett Bear. Thanks so much. We'll see you. You got it. Uh, when we come back, I'll be able to squeeze in some calls. one 408 7669 Do you think that Donald Trump will benefit from this? Do you worry, like I am still a little bit worried, despite what Brett said, that somehow the Supreme Court's not going to touch this? Uh, you listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. I look forward to your input. And then Neil McDonough, one of America's finest actors. He's got a brand new movie. It's been out for a few weeks, but he's here to talk about it. It's called The Shift. Uh, he and his wife produced it as well as, uh, as Neil starring it. Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? 
you need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Why is it okay for the U.S. to be negotiating with the Maduro government, sending back people in Justice Department custody? It's okay because they're freeing Americans, people who were held illegally, and we made a deal with Venezuela with their whole free election. So far, they maintain their requirements, and that's it. Do you worry, do you worry, do you worry that by giving back... No. Yeah, no, of course not. I've never seen an administration give up so much to get so many Americans back. I'm glad for every American that's back. I have no idea who these people were in Iran, by the way. We haven't met them. No one talks to them. Who was held in Iran that we gave up those billions for? Uh, Of course, we keep in a bank. They can only use it for humanitarian purposes. And then they get back. uh, They get back uh, two of their criminals and they decide to stay in New York City. Think about that for a second. And now we know about we're great at hostage swaps. And now all of a sudden, to get these guys out of Venezuela, which I'd like, it looks like they were unjustly kept. I understand that. But then we give back a guy that is extremely evil that was really tough to get. You know who knows it? Mike Pompeo. He was at CIA and Secretary of State when they got this guy. And he is terrible human being. Cut 24. So we worked hard in the Trump administration to get this fellow taken off the streets, this guy, Saab. Uh, we chased him all around. We, we got him here. He was uh, supporting Maduro, the regime there, who's got a $15 million warrant uh, to get him back to the United States. America. That's the leader of Venezuela. Uh, I, I don't think this trade made any sense for the United States of America. When you when you kowtow, when you bend a knee to these authoritarian regimes, you I'm glad we're getting some people back home, but there'll be more Americans taken hostage. There'll be more Americans wrongfully detained. You, you can't appease these folks, Kelly. You just saw this. You, you know it firsthand. You have to demonstrate American power. And when you do that, you can keep Americans safe. And you don't have to make these terrible trades like the, the Biden administration has made now repeatedly. You know, so that's the secretary of state. It's just terrible. This guy is uh, uh, this guy is uh, 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 fat Leonard. That's what they call him. Uh, but he is now going to be in key aid to Maduro again. Victor Boot, he's the number one arms dealer in the world. They did a movie about him. We get him back for uh, Brittany Griner. So go grab. So right now around the world, they're looking at Americans, whether you're traveling or not. What I worry about is if they take somebody of high profile and they want Khalid Sheikh Mohammed back. Think about that for a second. Paul Whelan still being held in the BBC, still being held in Russia. Listen to him. Cut 22. You know, it's serious betrayal. It's extremely frustrating. I know that the U.S. has come up with all sorts of proposals, serious proposals, but it's not what the Russians are after. So they keep going back and forth. The only problem is it's my life that's draining away while we do this. You know, it's five years. It's unfathomable to me that they left me behind. And not only that, he's basically in a penal colony. Incredible. So when we come back, it's going to be uh, it's going to be our privilege to bring in two of the show. Neil McDonough, actor and star of a brand new movie called The Shift. You know him from Yellowstone and just about everything else. One of the most successful actors in the country. Neil also is a producer uh, and a great dad and a great coach and in really good shape. The Brian Kilmeade Show, uh, another reason to watch Fox Nation. 
And I think Carly Shimkus is coming up just to take a picture with him. Radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. You okay? Yeah, I'm okay. I guess. Here. Oh. Drink this. You get a nasty gash right there. I had a kit, so I bandaged it up for you. You seem okay otherwise. Oh, thank you. Remember your name? Yeah. Kevin. Good. Oh. Nice to finally meet you, Kevin. I'm the benefactor. Oh, my ears are ringing. I can't hear you. The benefactor. I don't understand. Is that a joke? No. Oh, I wouldn't do that. Look at you. Wouldn't joke at a time like this. I'm here to help you. I want to talk to you about business. What business? I want to offer you a job. I have a job. <laughs> well, not for long. Well, that is just a slice of the shift, a movie that's out for you to download and have a great uh, the spiritual Christmas, great holiday season. Neil McDonough is starring in it, actor and uh, producer of the movie. Uh, it is now out. It's gettable. It's achievable. You can go see it yourself. Uh, Neil McDonough in studio. If you're smart enough to get Fox Nation, you're seeing him on the stream. Neil, great to see you. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having Usually me on the show. Usually uh, interviewing with me on television is enough. A lot of times people make excuses not to do the radio, but you're okay with this. Well, my wife, Reve's here, and she says, obviously, I have a face for radio, so this is perfect. So this is I, mean, I mean, it's just right up my alley. Well, a- <laughs> can you, uh, first off, great to see you. Nice of you to come up. Thank you. You're, can you tell everyone what was happening in that moment, in that shift, in that scene, in the shift? Yeah, it's it's the first moment that, it, look, the shift is basically the retelling of the book of Job. So it's basically the devil getting into this uh, this guy and tempting him with whatever it will take to get him to come to his side. And it's, it's pretty fantastic. And the, the film itself is so powerful. And the audience reaction has been so fantastic to it. I, I can't even tell you. And Angel Studios, what they stand for and what they put out there. Ravey and I are so fortunate and blessed to be part Your of wife. that system. Yeah, uh, that we helped produce this film and uh, to play this character was just it was such a, a deep dive for me to really kind of, you know, everyone knows what, what a method actor I am. And to, just to pull all that stuff out of myself to play a character that's so dark and yet try to find the lightness in Lucifer at the same time and really make him as human as possible, which which in turn makes him as scary as could possibly be written uh, by someone else. But you produced it. Yeah, uh, Brock Heasley wrote and directed it, um, and Ravey and I were brought on to help produce the film and for me to star as 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 basically the benefactor, a.k.a. Lucifer. How different was the script from the actual final product? Brock is in, it's, it's his first film. Uh, he made the little short film or called A Torch that they put on the Angel Studio website, and uh, if it passes 50 or 60%, of the voters, it's a, kind of like a crowdfunding thing, and there's thousands and thousands of, of voters uh, in his past. And then what they can you do, explain that to me? What do you mean by this? So they'll do a torch, um, kind of five minutes of what the film is going to be about. They put it on the Angel Studios website, and the guild, thousand, six thousand people chipped in to make this film. That's incredible! Wow. So, so at the end of the film, you'll see all the names rolling in the credits, and. The names who invested in the film were longer than the people who made the film. Wow. That, that, that's how incredible Angel Studios is. And then once they raise an X amount of money, the Angel Accelerator Fund matches that, and they have a budget to make the film. And so that's what they did for Brock. They loved the short film, uh, and they, they 
raise a ton of money to make the film, and, and here it is out in the theaters now, and it's doing so well. It's a small little film that's just, the word of mouth is, is fantastic. Can you get it streamed? Not uh, yet. Not yet. It's still in theaters now. Um, you know, here here it is, this, this small little film that uh, has, it's just creeping up the charts. It was number 10 last week, now it's number 8 this week, and it's third week out, and who knows what's going to happen, but uh, I, I know that walking down the streets here in New York, it's incredible the reaction that I've gotten from the shift. People have loved this film. They love the message. They love the story of Job. They love how it has a faith-based backdrop to it, yet there's mm-hmm. action, there's sci-fi, and there's a great romantic love story at the base of it. So, so wait a second. Between Suits, which is a huge hit, Yellowstone's a huge hit, Band of Brothers, one of the greatest movies ever, Walking Tall, uh, Justified, everything, The Flash, that's what people are saying? They, the Shift? It's crazy. I mean, the, the two biggest, th- the biggest thing ever for me is obviously Band of Brothers. And for me, to be part of it, I met Reve, my wife, the very first day filming there. Those guys are still all my best buddies. You know, we just did this chain of texting this morning, which is probably 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock their time in the West Coast, talking smack with each other. And it's just, those are my guys. And to play Buck Compton, to tell the story of this great generation, uh, I am the most blessed guy. And then to have all these other films that I've done ever since. Uh, it's pretty remarkable. I, you know what? Uh, I have that. I have a clip. So with, with Buck, uh, um, with you uh, as Buck Compton, here it is. Let's listen. Cut 26. Don't you two do something stupid like that, all right? Try not to, Buck. I mean it. And you. Wow, Bill. I've invested too much damn time shaping you into something useful. <laughs> you do something crazy. Get yourself knocked out of this thing. I know, I know. You'll kill me even if you're dead, I'll still kill you. <laughs> I'm serious. Sure thing, Buck. Nothing stupid. We got it, right? We got it. All right. George? Eh, nothing stupid, Buck. When mm. people talk about friendships, they say Band of Brothers. We're like a Band of Brothers. That, that's a part that's of right. our vernacular now. What was happening in that scene? Uh, it's, it, it's just about when Buck starts to really fall apart and when he starts to see his friends dying and what that was like. I mean... I couldn't imagine being 18, 19, 20 years old, 16, 17 guys who just jumped in lying about their age to, to fight for what was the right thing for the democracy of, you know, and the freedom of America. Those guys are just, they're superheroes to me. And to get to hang out with those guys and for Buck to be kind of, you know, another father figure for me in my life was, you know, it was incredible. And it was funny. We're at his, you know, here's a guy who was, this World War II hero, Purple Star, you know, Purple Heart, the Silver Star. I mean, everything you could ever get award-wise. Then he goes on to become a police officer, and then the DA and the chief prosecuting attorney on Sirhan Sirhan and Manson and all these things. Then he goes off to start his own conservative talk radio show in Washington. And becoming such a father figure to me, he was like, Neil, you got to come out of that political closet one day and have the bravery to admit everyone that you're a conservative. I'm like, yeah, but Buck, if I talk about that, you know, it, it's not the greatest thing in my career. And he goes, well, it worked for Ronald Reagan. I'm like, yeah, but, he, but he, I'm not Ronald Reagan. He goes, why not? Why can't you run for president one day? <laughs> I was like, hold on a second. Uh, and, and then at his funeral, uh, there he was. You know, I, I spoke at his funeral. and It was his casket in front of me. And I told everyone in the church, you know, thousands of people there. Uh, I said, this is for Buck. I said, it's going to sound like an AA meeting, but here it goes. Hi, I'm Neil McDonough. And I'm a Republican. And the place just lost their mind. It was one of those just great moments. And I could feel Buck in his casket just applauding and, and just laughing and having a great old time with it. So, uh, yeah, he was just, I, I miss that guy. Like, I can't even tell you. It's, uh, 
I, I can't even watch Band of Brothers because it gets so emotional for me. Again, being a method actor, I, I go back exactly to where I was and what I was thinking with the character anytime I see a character that I played, especially of that depth. And it's hard. And then two weeks ago, my son is studying Band of Brothers at school, uh, at his Christian high school in, in California. Why would they study that? Uh, it, it, World War II was a history class that, that, uh, okay. that he was studying. And Band of Brothers was the key to the whole thing. Did they realize who, who he well, was? Uh, well, and then the teacher is like, he understood who Morgan was immediately. And then he had me come in and speak to the class about Band of Brothers. And I can't talk about Band of Brothers for more than 30 seconds without getting emotional because it's, you know, it's where I met my wife. It's where, you know, everything really started for me. And I had to sit there and I haven't watched Band of Brothers since it came out. And I sat and he said, Dad, I I missed, he had a golf tournament, so he couldn't watch it in class that day. So I said, Dad, can we sit down and and you and me just watch episode seven together? Because that's the one I missed. And episode seven is the one where Buck really kind of has his emotional falling apart. And it was so hard to watch it because it just brought me back to exactly where I was and what I was thinking at that time. And, you know, there's tears running down my face and Morgan's looking at me and he, I think he finally understood the emotional roller coaster that I went through playing Buck and how much it truly meant to me in my life and how important it was to tell the story correctly uh, and, and give honor to the guys that lived, died, breathed, fought for our freedoms. And it's, it was, you know, it's the greatest thing that I've ever done in my life. Do you think others felt the same way? Your, your co, your co-actors? Do you? they, they all did. They, they, they all did. It's, it's something that we're all so proud of. And, uh, I, I cannot, I will never be able to thank, and I, you know, it was Steven Spielberg's birthday the other day. And for 23 years, I've sent him champagne on his birthday to say, thank you, pal, because without that, I wouldn't have met Reve. I wouldn't have five kids. I wouldn't have done a hundred movies ever since then and thousands of hours of television and um, the, the life that I have and, and how blessed I am to, to have been part of Band of Brothers. With Steven, since you're so involved in sports, this is for someone who's never been involved in acting. Good directors are coaches, aren't they? They know, they know the combination of you. So certain people need to be in Yeah, hey, you got to get disciplined. you got to pick it up. Other people you know, they're sensitive. If you say one thing, they're going to overreact to what you say. So there's, what is it about him that he was able to read you enough to get the most out of you? Steven Spielberg is he's, – uh, he's just amazing. You know, to, to have worked with him several times, you know, I did Minority Report and Boomtown, one of my favorite characters I ever played – uh, Flags of Our Fathers, and this a great TV series I did with Ed Burns uh, called Public Morals. Um, he he's always casting me in things, and it's uh, I, I'm so fortunate because he knows what talent is, he knows what confidence is, and when you mold those two together, yeah, you know, the greatest acting tip I ever got was from Steven Spielberg. Uh, second best acting tip, the best acting tip I ever got was from my wife Reve, but the second best acting tip was from Steven, and I've studied at some of the greatest schools in in the world. And he, he saw me on set the first day of Minority Report, and he could tell that I was probably nervous because there's Tom Cruise standing in front of me, there's everyone else, and I was kind of new to the, to the, to the bigness of, of, of that kind of film. And he walked up to me, and, and he says, look, uh, can I give you a tip? I was, yeah. I want you to be great on every take. And he just s- sat there for a second. Didn't, he was waiting for my reply. I'm like, uh, what does that mean? He says, I hired you. Because I know you're great. So if you just be yourself on every take, you're going to be phenomenal. And it's, it's been in my brain ever since that God gave me a gift of being a really talented actor. I, I can't pound a nail. I'm terrible at telling jokes. 
but man, I can act. And that's a yeah, Rivet quoted that once. Uh, and he gave me the confidence of realizing that I'm where I should exactly be in front of a camera. And it's my most, I'm more comfortable in front of a camera than I am in person. You know, I, I can, we, on the last segment we were on, on your show, you talked about when we were off camera, you said, what, what are you more comfortable in this or more comfortable as a character? And I'm always more comfortable as a character because I get to make believe. And for me, Neil McDonough, I'm, I'm much more shy and introverted by nature, but I have to put on a persona when I go out in public and when I'm walking down the streets and talking to people and such. I have what to about this? Is this you? Th- this is me right now, the much more. Would I be different if the, we were at lunch and there's no cameras or no microphones? It doesn't. Well, well, it's, for, you for, seem very natural. Right, right now, here I am with you, Brian, just talking about life and talk, yeah. talking about me. And I generally don't talk about me very much. <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd much rather talk about my characters and you know, my craft and you know how, what, what it's like. And but when I get to talk about being a dad, and I got get to talk about being a husband to an amazing woman, I get to talk about my career of you know hundred and something films and and working for the people that I've worked for and worked with. And here I am now, you know, on our fifth project that Ravey and I produced together. And to do films with Angel Studios, to be able to do the films that I've always wanted to tell, to do films that have a backdrop of faith and how we can be better by watching some entertainment to make us think, hmm, how can I be better as a coworker? How can I be better as a teammate? How can I be better as a dad or a husband or whatever? How can I be better as a child of God? And, you know, it, it, it always makes me come back to, to this one thing. We're all children of God. So we're all brothers and sisters. We should all be rooting for each other as one big family. But instead, we divide ourselves for, for certain reasons. And, and I still can't understand, well, I'm not sure what the, the correct faith is. I'm not sure what the correct, you know, anything is. But it doesn't really matter what your race, your creed, your color, your background. We're all in it together. And if we just did that more, wouldn't the world be a much happier, simpler place? But we, we as humans, we get confused. And there's so many messages out there to confuse us. And... You know, as a dad having five kids, you, you look at all the social media and we try to really limit the social media w- for our kids because it just, it bends their brains and it's hard for a 13, 14 year old kid to figure out what is actually reality right. and what is just pumped into you to, you know, I, I was reading this thing the other day, Every, 10 times a day, kids see commercials about soda. Soda's not the greatest thing in the world for you. Uh so you're just, you're just, or alcohol commercials. You know, I used to drink alcohol. I drank too much alcohol. That's why I stopped drinking alcohol eight years ago because I knew it wasn't the best thing to be a child of him. And so I had to really focus on how can I be the best for him? How can I be the best for my family? And that was one thing I needed to get rid of. Uh, and Reve helped me get through that. And, and, you know, it was the greatest thing that I ever walked away from. Do you uh, see beer commercials and say to yourself, I'd love to have a beer? No, I, oh, I see. Is that what you were saying? Uh, no, I'm, I'm oh, the you're guy. Saying the negative, you're saying the negative images. Oh, the negative Why images, Why couldn't yeah. we go out of our way to make the, these images more positive the, and, and sell things that are more beneficial? I, I had this great quote the other day from my pastor back in Massachusetts, uh, Willie Ewing, who I went to school with as a kid. And it, it was some, I can't remember the exact actual quote from the Bible, but he was saying, we spend so much time cheering for our sports teams. We spend so much time cheering for this and that. And, and screaming at the top of our lungs, go team, go. But we don't ever scream right. out loud for our faith in him. We don't s- scream right. out loud how fortunate we are to be loved by God. Hold that thought. Uh, back in a moment, uh, listen to Neil McDonough. Well, pick up and make sure you find some time 
uh, to see his movie, uh, The Shift. It is out and it's doing exceedingly well. Great reviews. Back in a moment. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Do you know the story of Susan Rawlings? Real estate attorney from Hamilton. That's right. We had a mutually beneficial relationship. Until she figured out a way to bend the law to benefit her business more than my business. That's the problem with playing dirty, Beth. Because when someone plays dirty back, there's no one to cry to. There's no charges to file. There's nowhere to scream about the injustice you endured. Because if you do, all your filthy laundry just spills right out in the open. For everyone to see. Susan finally realized that. They moved her. Somewhere in California where they could help her move past the trauma. We'll see how tough you are after I give it to you. Neil McDonough on Yellowstone uh, Mm. threatening Beth Dutton. Mm. Your thoughts when hearing that? Uh, So I I got to the set and I I had never met Kelly. They said, would you like to meet Kelly? I said, no. Wait till after the scene. And because when I go into those situations... I'm not there to become friends with cast members and stuff. My job is, when I'm the villain, is to be villainous. Even at lunch? Even at lunch. I'll go to have lunch in my trailer. I won't talk to – I'll talk to the crew. I'm, I'm great with the crew. But when it comes to the other actors, I don't really generally speak to them at all because it makes it much more intense. So there I was sitting on the set, and there's Kelly in her chair behind the – I remember like it was yesterday. And she's getting her makeup all done. I'm just sitting there calmly. I'm just staring, and she's like, I could see her starting to look over at me, and she's starting to shake a little bit. And as I and as I, they roll camera, did you want to? And I said, can you um, have the camera on her first for her reaction, uh, and I'll do my reaction after. And they're like, yeah, we usually don't do it that, but okay, sure. And as soon as I walk towards her, I see her hand start shaking on the desk. I'm like, ah, this is going to be good. <laughs> hey, listen, uh, that's just a few minutes of Neil McDonough. It's not enough time. Uh, the name of the movie is The Shift. It's a great holiday movie. You're going to love it. And he produced it, and he stars in it, along with his wife. Neil McDonough, thanks so much. Ryan, thank you for everything. I really appreciate it, pal. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here, coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, and, of course, you can get us on the stream on, uh, on Fox Nation, BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Also, if you go to Fox News uh, app and you click on the headsets as well as your smart devices, the headsets just get you the show live. But, of course, you can always look at uh, past shows, too. Uh, we got a big hour coming your way. We're going to do a simulcast with Stuart Varney. I'm going to go out to Dan Hoffman, who used to be uh, in the CIA and used to have Moscow and Iraq as his uh, return address and where uh, Mark Thiessen is standing by. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. You know, it's serious betrayal. It's extremely frustrating. I know that the U.S. has come up with all sorts of proposals, but it's not what the Russians are after. The only problem is, it's my life that's draining away. Why will he do this? You know, it's five years. It's unfathomable to me that they've left me behind. Uh, that is Paul Whale, and you can hear his exasperation. He's, he's actually in a 
deep prison in a penal colony in Russia for years. Weakness. That's exactly how Joe Biden's foreign policy has us looking around the world. Think about the Houthi rebels rocket us. We do nothing back. We've got hit 102 times. We've hit back four times in the region. China tells us they're going to take Taiwan when they're ready. And think about all the hostage exchanges that were given and the ones that have been taken. Joe Biden's got to go. Number two. My mayor is blaming everyone except the person who needs to get the blame, and that is President Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, who are responsible for protecting and securing our borders and for having a functional immigration system. They're not calling out Secretary Mayorkas for letting asylum seekers come to this country under false pretense and then giving them court cases 10 years from now. Uh, that's, that's true. That is Raymond Lopez, an alderman from Chicago, feeling our frustration, a border overwhelmed, a president who could not care less. Blue cities begin to pay a heavy price. They are turning on their own party. And the CBP doesn't have the luxury of taking off for Christmas like Congress. Number one. I think this kind of action of stretching the law, taking these hyper-aggressive positions to try to uh, knock Trump out of the race uh, are counterproductive. They backfire. Uh, That is William Barr. No fan of Trump anymore, but the Trump trials and persecution. Huge Colorado Trump ban fallout as blue state radical judges try to ban Trump from the ballot. Now California wants to do the same. It looks like pure folly and pure politics. It looks like they're trying and are afraid of Donald Trump. Meanwhile, Joe Biden ends the year with a big sit down with Bill Muir, with Brett Baer. No, Conan O'Brien. Now. For a review of that great interview, before you even heard it, is Mark Thiessen, big Conan fan. Hey, Mark. Hey, good to be with you. Hey, by the way, can I tell you, you are 100% correct on how Reese's Peanut Butter Cups came about. It was two guys walking down the street, bumped into each other, and got and and, uh, and he said, one said, you put chocolate in my peanut butter, and you got peanut butter in my chocolate. All right, we're going to try to get the commercial exactly in the middle of it. Thank you, uh, Mark. Thank you. Because we're about so, the same so, age. Uh, I'm more mature. Yeah. And, Two great tastes that taste great together. Right. I love documentaries. I like true stories. <laughs> and and you're not going to believe it, but in the commercial, Robbie Benson and Donnie Most, in the commercial that we found this morning, which will be aired tomorrow, you're referring to the fact that uh, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups came up in the news. And I said, what I love about Reese's, not only the taste, but how it was invented, totally by accident. And they're looking at me like I have 10 heads. And I go, no, no, it was chronicled <laughs> on television in the 70s. So nobody knows what I'm talking about. But would I they have exactly since gone on what YouTube? you're talking about because we're both old. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I think that we're peaking. That's what you call it. That old. Exactly, yes. We're right. exactly. We're, hit, we're finally peaking. hitting our stride is how I look at it. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so uh, so let, let's talk about serious stuff. This Colorado case. I, Brett told me don't worry about it, but I worry. And here's what I worry about. This case, 4-3 decision, decide to ban Trump from the ballot. It's going to go up to the Supreme Court quickly. And I just imagine, if this is a 5-4 decision, um, if they, if they, or if they say we're not going to hear it and it works and Colorado does ban Trump, do you realize, forget Trump, our election system is forever changed for the worse. As yeah. to, I'm just saying, let's play this out. Ten years from now, there's a charismatic Democrat, and he's fiery. Or she's fiery. And she gets people all emotional and lets them know that the, the country's being taken away from them. And after their rallies, they begin to wreck, wreck cities, like after the Detroit Tigers win a World Series or the Philadelphia Eagles win the Super Bowl, right? And then they go, wait a second. Oklahoma uh, governor goes, you know, this guy's too dangerous. I, I think that this is, these are mini insurrections. 
Uh, I'm I'm banning them from. Uh, I think he's dangerous. I'm banning them from my state, Nebraska. I'm going to ban them from my state, Texas. I'm going to ban them from my state. It's just like the filibuster. Yeah, it's it, it's ridiculous. I mean, first of all, this whole concept of it being self-executing, like you know, you don't have to be found to have been guilty of insurrection anywhere, is just ridiculous. Um, the the it, Trump was not charged with insurrection. There is a law. You know, an anti-insurrection law uh, on the books, and the the uh, the special counsel did, hasn't charged him with it. He chose not to charge him with it, so he was he was he was acquitted by the Senate. <laughs> in the, the impeachment you know, when they, when they impeached him for uh, for this, he was acquitted by the Senate, and the special counsel hasn't charged him with insurrection, which is a specific crime on the books that he could have charged him with. Why? Because it wasn't an insurrection. So, you know, the idea that, that you can suddenly that the courts around the country can like step in and 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 claim that anyone's an insurrectionist based on, you know, whatever, you know, whatever random per- person shows up and says they were is is just patently absurd. And this is why I mean, this is why Donald Trump is is winning the nomination is because these people these people say that Donald Trump is a unique threat to our democracy. But then they absolutely are willing to tear apart our democracy in order to stop him. They become everything they complain about in him and worse. Great point. And wait, we, you know, if, if I told you that Alvin Bragg's indictment was going to spur a surge for Trump that we witnessed, you'd go, no way, Brian. Are you kidding me? Someone getting indicted, a president getting indicted? You know, the circus is going to reinforce all the anti-Trumpers that they were 100 percent right. But what have we witnessed? We've witnessed each time people say this is ridiculous. You know, we both think the Alvin Bragg thing is a farce. Yeah. Uh, and, and to bring, make that be the first time that the president does this is absolutely incredible. The civil trial is an abomination, in my view. Uh, now, now you have the documents case, self-inflicted wound, but you compare it to you compare it to what Joe Biden does. We don't get any news out of that. The Georgia yeah. January 6th, we see. So we're seeing this and you see instead of someone trying to seek justice, maybe like Robert Hur is doing in theory with Joe Biden. You see Jack Smith, who looks absolutely motivated to take down somebody rather than seek justice. Yeah, this 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 will be a different situation, though, because I think even I mean, you saw in my paper, Ruth Marcus, who probably hates Trump more than any human being I know alive, had a column today saying that the Supreme Court should overturn this unanimously. Uh, I, I, I think that it's unlikely that this will be a nine no nine no decision uh, by the court. Um, and I, I think also that the, the justices on the liberal justices will not only come around on it will be it will rule correctly on this but they also understand that this would be a absolute you know all these people are saying that the conservative justices have politicized the institution and are you know ruining the reputation of the supreme court and dragging it into politics this would be the liberal justices doing that um and and so i think that i think for the sake of the institution as well as the law i think they're going i think this is just going to be thrown out so Fox Business is a poll out, and it's probably the last one until uh, the Iowa caucus in a couple of weeks. Donald Trump now up from 46 in September to 52. DeSantis from 15 in September to 18. Nikki Haley from 11 to 16. And, and the rest doesn't matter. Your thoughts on Iowa? 
So, I mean, it's likely that Trump will win. The, the question, I mean, one of the things that's always interesting about Iowa is that, you know, the, there's this huge focus on who comes in second, right? <laughs> and so this is really a a, uh, a Trump, uh, sorry, a Haley DeSantis race in Iowa for, for second place. If DeSantis can't come in with a very strong second, he's finished because he's put all his eggs in the basket there. And so if if, if Haley's, you know, within two points, that's the margin of error. If she could eke out a victory over, over DeSantis in Iowa, uh, and then she goes to New Hampshire, and she and she could she could win New Hampshire if Chris Christie got the hell out of the race because most of his voters would go to her. Um, I mean, the, this this has got to be a two person race to challenge Trump, and then it's got to become a one person against Trump race, or else Trump is going to win it, which is the likely scenario at this point. But it's not out of the realm of possibility that some that something can happen. But Chris Christie has got to get out. He's got zero path to the nomination. I don't understand why he's being so. You know, Mike Pence looked at the writing on the wall and saw that uh, that uh, uh, that, uh, that this wasn't his time. Uh, Tim Scott did the same thing. Chris Christie doesn't. You know, he, he doesn't have a path to the presidency or to the nomination. He he, he needs to get out. And if he does, you could see a, a scenario where Nikki Haley comes in second in Iowa. Uh, you know, has an upset win over Trump in in New Hampshire if she's the only one on the ballot against him, and then uh, you know, win South Carolina. Um, that 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 is a within the realm of possibility, and then you have a competitive race. So, uh, Mark Teeson, our guest, Mark, it's just so interesting. In the Fox Business poll, they say the number one issue remains the economy. It was at forty six percent in September, now thirty eight. But immigration's gone from 15 to 27, which builds on your column, by the way. And you talk about a compromise on the border would be good for Biden and the Ukraine. But I hope that doesn't stop Republicans from doing it. A good deal that changes asylum rules. And uh, the first country you come into, you have to apply or you're you're forbidden to come to our country. Uh, A a rapid return when you come here illegally. Sending the message this has got to stop because I'm just looking at some of these. Uh, some of these statistics are overwhelming. You have 12,000 in a single day, a new record, over 12,000 a single day on Monday, 24 hours. 18,500 in custody, another new record. 256% above capacity. We can't possibly handle this. So, so this is a five-alarm fire. But you say if, if he's smart, it's a big if, he'll, yeah. he'll do what Republicans want on the border, get his Ukraine and Israel and Taiwan funding, and be in a stronger position. Is he smart? Um, I don't know if he is, but he uh, he ought to be. I mean, th- if, if you're Joe Biden, wouldn't you rather have the levels of people co- encounters at the southern border down to the same levels as your Republican and Democratic president for the three Republican and Democratic predecessors before the election? Wouldn't that help you? <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you, this this situation is indefensible. And and so why would you not want to do that? And then on the other hand, you know, I think Republicans are doing the right thing, including pro pro Ukraine Republicans are doing the right thing by holding his feet to the fire and using Ukraine aid as 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 leverage to get this because it's good for the American people, it's good for the country if we can secure the border, and it's also good for Ukraine because what do what do what do all the anti-Ukraine Republicans always say? Biden cares more about Ukraine's border than our own, and the reason that's a devastating argument is because it's been true. You know, and we're a superpower. We can we can secure our border and also lead the world. Ronald Reagan did it, <laughs> but but we're not, and it's by choice. 
So, you know, the question is, is, is Biden going to, you know, do, do make the right choice? I think he has no choice. I think that he understands that he's not going to get Ukraine aid uh, if he doesn't secure the border. And so I think they're doing the absolute right thing. They're doing the right thing and they're not betraying Ukraine by doing it. They're helping Ukraine because they're taking away, if they succeed in this, they're taking away the strongest argument on the right uh, against helping Ukraine. No kidding. And Ukraine, you know, by whole, now they're in a stalemate and people acting like that's bad. They've, they're killing tens of thousands of Russians a day. I know they're outnumbered. they got to get the weapons they need. But uh, they've already taken back 50 percent of the land they lost since this conflict started. Uh, they need, they're need. they also willing to activate 400,000 people if they could finance it. They've been incredible, uh, incredibly resourceful and um, uh, resourceful and driven. So we need to have somebody lead this charge who can actually speak. Austin can't speak. Uh, Blinken looks scared to death. And we know what Joe Biden's not capable. The guy that can speak the best is you, General Keene, and Lindsey Graham. Put us in charge, man. I know. <laughs> and you. <laughs> Four of us will go in and solve the problem. Look, here's the thing also that people are not focusing on. is there, there is there, When they say there's a stalemate, they're looking at the land border. The Ukrainians have won the Battle of the Black Sea. They they use it. What happened was the the British gave them storm shadow uh, missiles, which are long range missiles similar to our long range attack. The French gave them uh, their their version of that missile and they use those missiles plus sea drones to drive every Russian ship out of Ukrainian territorial waters and into Russian territorial waters. And 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 so they've literally liberated the entire uh, Ukrainian uh, Ukrainian coastline, the, and including the coast of Crimea. The the Russians are afraid, uh, can't bring their ships into. Uh, for, if we were to give them three more Patriot batteries and long range attack of missiles, they would be able to take out every. Uh, airfield, every plane, every ship, every everything in Crimea, they would be able to to take start taking back their territory. And also, where are the F-16s? You know, we promised them F-16s at the start of the year, and they still haven't. The, the training the training thing has been has been uh, stymied because of program delays. We're not giving them the weapons they. We're we're being incredibly unfair to the Ukrainians because the people are saying, you know, look at them. They're not making as much progress as we hope. There's a stalemate. Well, we haven't given the weapons in order to. We've given them enough weapons not to lose, but we don't give them the weapons they need to win, and then we complain that they're not winning. It's a, you, you need a stra- this, this administration has a strategy not to lose. They don't have a strategy for victory. And that's, quite frankly, one of the reasons why support is dwindling, because Americans want to back a winner. And they don't understand why, why the Ukrainians aren't winning after they had so much success early on. What's your reaction to Lindsey Graham or the, the NBC report that President Xi told Joe Biden in San Francisco that he will be taking Taiwan at a time in which he chooses? There's nothing we can do about it. What is your take on that? Um, my take on it is that listen to the words of your enemies. I mean, one of the lessons we've learned through history is that we, when our enemies tell us what they intend to do, we need to take them seriously. You know, Hitler wrote Mein Kampf, and he said that he's going to build an Aryan superstate, eradicate the Jews, and retake Europe. And we didn't pay attention. He rearmed, and he did it. Uh, Osama bin Laden in 1996 wrote a fatwa. Tell, declaring war in America. We didn't pay attention, and 9/11 happened. You know, and and Vladimir Putin. In a year before, issued a 6,000-word manifesto. It's still up on the Russian presidential uh, website, uh, declaring that the Ukrainians are, and the Russians were one people and they had to be reunited. And we didn't, and we were, we weren't sure he was going to do it. Well, Xi Jinping has been just as clear about Taiwan. I mean, how many times are we going to make the same mistake? When your enemy tells you, "I'm going to do this," pay attention, do it. 
We should be we should be arming you, uh, Taiwan to the teeth right now. <laughs> and Mark, it's, it seems it's, we need we need a new president. Uh, I, I hope we survive this year. Mark Thiessen, have a great Christmas. Thanks for everything. Great holiday. Merry Christmas to you, Brian. Take right. care. You're the best. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Bottom of the hour, we do Daniel Hoffman of the CIA. We'll move this story forward. So glad you're here. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, be a, I went a little long there, but Mark's got a lot to say, and there's so much going on right now. One thing is abundantly clear. If things go as planned, almost every legal expert, from Jonathan Turley uh, to McCarthy to every every legal ask, uh, analyst I've seen, that they have overstepped in Colorado, that there's nothing, there's no there there. This is going to help Trump. It's going to help Trump big time because it shows he's been targeted. It shows the system has been gamed, and it shows the system worked. And now, when I watch Nikki Haley, when I watch Ron DeSantis, when I watch Chris Christie, when I watch Vivek Ramaswamy, do you know what they were talking about? Trump. You know what they were talking about? Colorado. You know what they were talking about? Actually coming to his aid inside. Now, if I'm trailing by 20 points, 25 points, 30 points, and I got to praise the guy that's in front of me, let alone choose not to criticize him, works to Trump's advantage. Brian Kilmeade, Daniel Hopkins. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. You know, it's serious betrayal. It's extremely frustrating. I know that the U.S. has come up with all sorts of proposals, serious proposals, but it's not what the Russians are after. So they keep going back and forth. The only problem is it's my life that's draining away while we do this. You know, it's five years. It's unfathomable to me that they left me behind. Maybe not to Dan Hoffman, who was at the Moscow Bureau when he was with the CIA, knows Russia well. I want to talk about Ukraine, the mindset, Putin's four-hour presser. But that was Paul Whale, and he's been held for no reason for years. Brittany Griner came and went. Others came and went. For some reason, they don't want to deal and get him out to let his life uh, take shape again. Uh, Daniel Hoffman joins us now. Hey, Dan. Hey, Brian. Good to be on the program. You can just hear the pain in his voice and the frustration uh, can you give us an idea what this guy's going through in a penal colony in Moscow or in Russia? Yeah, and that that clip makes its way out into the media because Vladimir Putin uh, is using it as leverage. He's extorting us, and he knows that by allowing that clip to be played, he's driving up the price he's going to demand in return for Whalen's release. Uh, look, there's no rule of law in Russia, and so Vladimir Putin can hold Paul Whalen as long as he wishes until he gets what he wants. And it's over to the Biden administration to figure out what that is and then decide whether we can pay the price. The hostage business really paying off. Think about what it's done for Iran. Look at Venezuela. Just uh, just got one of their uh, Fat Leonard or whatever they, whatever they call him back. Evidently, this guy's a notorious criminal, according to Secretary of State Pompeo, former CIA director. Uh, so you're getting a lot of people back. This this really, this is this seems to be what... You, if you want, would you want? If you want to get something from America, arrest an innocent person and get back a criminal. Yeah, it's it's 
asymmetric judicial warfare. Look, we do enjoy the rule of law. We do arrest criminals like Victor Boot, for example, the arms dealer. Um, and, uh, and Russia knows that. And so what they have to do is arrest, uh, detain and arrest innocent civilians, journalists like Evan Gershkovich, and then hold them and, and demand a trade. And we're never going to get anything like we should in return. Uh, we're not, you know, it's just, it's just the way Russia and the other dictatorships uh, are playing the system right now. And all you can do, I mean, the, the idea that Russia would, de- would detain a journalist extrajudicially, that hasn't happened since 1986. And to hold him for as long as they have, uh, it's just absolutely horrific, but it reflects the state of uh, Vladimir Putin's, um, you know, KGB uh, dictatorship. That's what we're seeing. How would you characterize where he thinks he's at right now, Putin? I think he feels pretty good. I mean, he doesn't have to worry about any oversight for his awful uh, handling of the war in Ukraine, where he's lost over 300,000 troops and failed in, in, to, to uh, achieve any of his strategic objectives, beginning with toppling the government in Ukraine, uh, which he preposterously, preposterously calls group of neo-Nazis. But what, what gives him a lot of hope, I think, and, and uh, we saw that in his... Um, in his all-day, uh, you know, question and answer session uh, last week, is that uh, the United States still hasn't given Ukraine the, the 60 or so billion dollars Ukraine desperately needs to stay in the fight. And so, thanks to Republicans and Democrats unable to come together with some bipartisan consensus on a national security priority like Ukraine, not to mention the border and Israel, uh, Vladimir Putin wins. And that's, I think, what uh, makes him feel like he's accomplishing his objective. He's in a proxy war against the United States. That, there's no question about that. He, that's how he views the fight in Ukraine. Uh, and he feels like time is on his side. Well, I mean, Ukraine says they're going to call up 500,000 people. Can they? Well, they, they you know, they're, they're fighting a kind of a losing battle when it comes to the size of their economy and the demographics. Russia has a significantly greater population, and our sanctions have never really been able to uh, to dent the amount of money Putin can draw on for his war effort. He's using, uh, you know, a shadow fleet to deliver oil around the world at more than $60 a barrel. Yes, Russia's subservient to China and they're forced to import Chinese cars and export their oil to China. But that's okay for Vladimir Putin. He's happy to jump into bed with the other dictator, Xi Jinping, even if it means that, uh, that Russia's kind of on their knees and doing it. That's how he survives another day. He's got to oppose the democracies. That's what scares Vladimir Putin the most, democracy. No kidding. And he was uh, – so if you do think about it the way we're spinning it, Oh, uh, I'm watching different hosts on this channel and others say, oh, wait a second. Everyone knows you're not going to be able to win this war. Wait a second. What are you talking about? Can you believe the Russians have lost 300,000 minimum soldiers? They're putting it into a meat grinder now, something like 1,000 a week. They're just throwing them at the Ukrainians who have taken 50% of their land back, but they wanted more this summer. Now they're holding. They're holding when they should have been wiped out, according to all the experts, in weeks, two years ago, Right. Right. Look, this is a failure of communication from the Biden White House, specifically from the president. And there's one thing that President Biden ought to know is that the Americans are kind of fed up with endless wars. We had one in Vietnam. We had them in Afghanistan and we had them in Iraq. 
Uh, Bill Clinton actually had a plan to go in and get out. Uh, and the plan to get out was right there before we went in, in the former Yugoslavia, for example. Uh, in the case of Ukraine, he's framing it as that, as long as it takes. What does that mean? Uh, I, I, he's got to frame it better that, that actually Ukraine is winning. You're right. We're cutting the, the Russian army down to size. We're defending Europe from Russian aggression. Um, and we cannot allow Russia to take over Ukraine for all that that would mean to the world economy and national security, U.S. national security uh, in Europe and what it would mean for our, our fellow NATO members. All of those reasons are why it's important that Ukraine doesn't lose. But the idea that we're just as long as it takes is it's, it's frivolous, frankly. The president hasn't been able to get up on the bully pulpit and explain to the American people why we're doing this. Nikki Haley has pretty effectively. Uh, but that's the, the administration has to do that. Uh, and yes, Republicans are, are demanding, uh, in the Democrats' view, certainly some extreme things on, on the border. But it's over to the administration. They've got to solve this one. President Biden is supposed to be able to come up with some ideas about, uh, about bipartisan consensus. He's done that with, on some, some, some big legislation. And, man, if we don't get this right, we're going to really suffer the consequences, like snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. And they're fighting, uh, and they're and they're using with the training that we had given them, that you guys had given them, and they're doing so effectively, so innovative. And they it, are. and uh, listen, a lot of Republicans are disappointing me too. You see, Senator Josh Hawley. Um, yep. Listen, what what happened? I mean, have, there's some jujitsu. All of a sudden, we don't see the threat of expansion, expanded Russia. That was what Republicans tried to convince Democrats of for about fifty, sixty years. If you don't stop Russia everywhere they try to expand. You lose. And that's how we won the right. Cold War. We frustrated them, wore them out. They had a bad economic system. We we're able to be more productive in every way. We're legitimate friends of people. They just want to take over people. So we have a better product. I want to bring it to the Houthi rebels. What are we so scared of? Well, we shouldn't be as scared as I think we are. Uh, there's some grave concern in the, in the Biden administration about escalating. Uh, and so we're not targeting uh, the launch sites. We're not targeting the Houthi network, the networks of terrorists who are launching these ballistic missiles and the drones. And so as a result, you know, we're, the, the, we've got major uh, oil companies, BP and Merce, they're not even going through the Red Sea. They've got to go way around, takes ads days uh, to, to travel over the Horn of Africa to, to ship the oil, and it's causing the price of oil to go up. We're not deterring the Houthis. And when we fail to do that, um, we run the risk of our, our soldiers, sailors, uh, and commercial shipping uh, falling under our fire, and people could lose their lives. It's the same story in, in Syria uh, and, and Iraq, where we're not deterring Iran's proxy militants from targeting us there, or Lebanese Hezbollah. Uh, Iran is, is, has, has been deploying their proxy terrorists against us with impunity. Now, the Houthis they're gaining a measure of legitimacy for themselves by taking the fight to the United States and Israel. And they're trying to drive a wedge uh, between the Saudis, the Emiratis, the key Gulf state allies, and the United States by, by taking a, you know, hitting the, the price of oil and, uh, and, and launching these attacks. And uh, we're not, I don't think, uh, I think we're being overly uh, cautious. Do, uh, no kidding. 102 attacks, 102 mm -hmm. attacks. We've hit back about five times. Uh, and by, by the way, we, do we know exactly where they are? We can, could do an instant damage, correct? Well, that's the, that's the intelligence challenge. I can tell you, tell you from having served in war zones like in Iraq, where we were always concerned about 
the launch sites from from Iran's proxy militias in Iraq. You can you can pull your put your full um, uh, the, the the full power of your intelligence capability to bear and collect that intelligence and then do something about it. And the the even more escalatory uh, decision would be do you, do you target Iran directly? Iran yeah. doesn't want a direct conflict with the United States or Israel. They're just hiding behind their proxies. But yeah. the next step has to be to target Yemen. Yeah, they're shooting at us. And we're not shooting back. That's it's, it's pain, in the painful. most basic sense. I have a major problem with that. Daniel Hoffman, thanks so much. Have a great Christmas. Coming up next, Thank simulcast on FBN. Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. So I'm going to be able to take some calls on the back end. David Asman's in for Stuart Varney. Uh, Varney's got the number one show in business television. So an FBN's one of the fastest growing uh, stations. We always love coming on. He's been doing it all year, every Thursday. Uh, keep in mind, Teddy and Booker T. Uh, it is still out. Great Christmas gift. It's still now. It's on the New York Times list for the fourth straight week. And also to keep in mind, there's going to be a special nine o'clock Saturday night on the whole thing. It's taken a year to shoot, but to see about these two great Americans, a great American story, and they rose up at the right time uh, to lead us through a very difficult time in our history, coming off uh, the Civil War, which they were both born uh, into. So let's listen. Over, forgive me, Brian, but I want to go right into the Colorado decision. First of all, just a general position on that. What's going to happen? I mean, it, it seems clear the Colorado Supreme Court didn't se- seem to think there would be this much pushback. Or am I am I wrong on that? I think they want their moment in the sun. I would assume that these judges understand that the other cases were challenged and dismissed. I would assume that they knew that they'd be the only one and they'd be first. Now, within hours, we find out the lieutenant governor of California says, I want to do the same thing. I will do whatever I can to keep Trump off the ballot. Now, almost every legal expert says this is not going to stand. They're going to go up to the Supreme Court and John Roberts won't permit it. But I just think in my head, already getting used to the prospect of possibly kicking different candidates off states. Now, if this is by any chance successful, the ramifications would be cataclysmic for our country. Think about this. Let's say eight years from now, there's a charismatic Democrat, and he's out there, and he gets people so pumped up, they turn around and maybe do what you do after you win a World Series game. Sometimes you wreck your city. Look at Philadelphia. Look at Detroit. Look at different cities. They get so crazy, they're lighting cars on fire. We understand that. So let's say that happens to a city with that charismatic leader, man or woman, is a Democrat. And all of a sudden, the Oklahoma governor goes, you know what? I want that guy off my ballot. I don't. I think he is a danger to the country. I don't think he should be voting. And what about mm. Nebraska? They stay. What about Texas? We well, Texas already. We had yeah. the, we had the lieutenant governor suggest that he was he was thinking about it California. anyway, taking Biden off the ballot. That was California. No, no, Texas. no. But to Texas, Dan Patrick, the lieutenant governor of Texas, was asked, and he said he he would think about taking Biden off the yeah. ballot okay. in Texas, and and sort of a payback. It's terrible. Uh, I, I I don't think it's a great idea. Do you? 
But, but with say the same thing with the filibuster. Remember, we said, okay, they want a simple majority vote on the filibuster. Fine. Well, then in comes Donald Trump, becomes president. Simple passing on all these Supreme Court yeah. justices. Good job, yeah. Chuck Schumer. You brought that on yourself. Good job, Colorado. Now we're going to start looking at all this. And maybe some people are going to run like Letitia James did as attorney general in New York City. I'm going to run on getting Trump. Really? You're going to get Trump on what? Well, I'll figure out something. Sure enough, two years yeah. later, we're in court. Because somebody wants to get famous by suing somebody famous. It's nuts. All right. Let's talk about Biden and particularly his family troubles. We've seen a lot of Hunter Biden, by the way, traveling with his dad. But he's never been listed in White House or Marine One visitor logs. What's going on there? Well, a couple of things. I mean, this is a perilous time for the family. Now, think about this. He's going to get arrested, I think, next week. He's got to turn himself in in Los Angeles. He's going to be brought up on charges. And I think they want to get their story straight. So also, sadly, this is the anniversary, 51 years, I think, since uh, that uh, his first wife got killed along with his daughter in that accident. Mm. So they were together. I don't know the protocol, but it seemed to astound many in the press room that they weren't listed as travelers. We should know that. We should know whoever comes to visit, too. We know they were taking Donald Trump's guest book logins to find out who might have been visiting him prior to January 6th. So this this White House seems to do their own thing. I mean, the biggest thing that they've done, I think a bigger story, David, is with student loans. The courts told him you can't do it. Right. He's right. doing it anyway. Think the about Supreme that. Court told him that the yes. Supreme Court, it doesn't get any higher than Nuts. that. So there's no. But he's he's billions and billions and billions of dollars of credit to uh, to the student loans. I quickly want to talk about whether or not uh, the president has been giving advice to Hunter about uh, about what he decided to do last week. Uh, when he essentially defied that subpoena, KJP, the, the White House press secretary, said that that Joe Biden had seen that statement that Hunter made in, in Capitol Hill before uh, he def- actually defied the subpoena. Is, is that obstruction of justice very quickly? I think there's something there. I'll just get it real quick. This almost everything that his legal team has done has hurt the president. And when Jen Psaki has to come out, who's still allied close with the president and say the White House needs to Hunter to yeah. go away and quiet down. That's yeah. almost like KJP saying it. They're trying to give a message. And this is all about Hunter Biden. Someone's paying right. this multi-million dollar bill and it's hurting the president. Okay. And the president thinks he's hurting Hunter. Biden hard, Brian hard out. So we got to leave it at that. But great to see you, my friend. Have a great radio show. Appreciate all right. it. Uh, thank you so much. More? And hopefully I'm in the middle of having a great radio show. Although it's always good to wish me that. Uh, so I'm, I'm all for that. Um, so we'll see where that goes. So the Hunter Biden situation, I haven't brought it up over the last few days. But I think the only thing to keep in mind, too, when you go home for the holidays and, and if you're en route to seeing some relatives and they start telling you that the Hunter Biden thing, there's nothing there, just to run through everything that he has done and how it relates to his dad. And it's not about his new, his, his porn pictures. It's not about his porn stars. It's not about him speeding at 150 miles an hour through the desert on who knows what type of drug or alcohol. Uh, it's not about him uh, disavowing the kid that he had and uh, being sued for paternity, saying he's broke and he has no money to support a kid that the dad wants denied. This is all about international business deal. His dad was well aware of that where the money ended up benefiting the family. And at 78, 80 years old, you pretty much are smart enough to know it can't turn up in dad's account. It turns out in others, and he benefits. And we're seeing loans from Jim. We're seeing loans from Hunter. We see the back and forth with the surrogates. 
uh, with the Eric Sherwins, who is in control of it and is talking about paying taxes. We see all these things. That's what it's about. As it relates to Joe, as it relates to his foreign policy decisions, that's what this is about. It's not about taking a guy that was addicted to drugs and making him a sympathetic figure. Obviously, that guy is a train wreck and will never stop being one. And the worst is he blames everybody else except himself, and he's getting away with it so far. Brian Kilmeade, Brian Kilmeade Show. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening. We're moving through an exciting week. It's uh, a lot of times people are like, well, towards that week uh, leading up to Christmas, nothing happens. Not in the Donald Trump era. Everything happens all the time, most of which you didn't expect. And, and the president seems to be enjoying it as much as anybody could who has as many legal challenges as he has. Kellyanne Conway is standing by and Dr. Nicole Sapphire at the bottom of the hour. Uh, And I just got a quick announcement, too. And I hope everyone's listening on the smart devices. You could watch on Fox Nation or you could just go on the Fox website and click on the headsets and hear it there. But just quick, uh, quick note, Saturday, nine, uh, Saturday at nine o'clock Eastern time. I'm going to have Teddy and Booker T, the TV special, shot it for over a year. I think it's one of the best One America greats ever. But talking about Teddy Roosevelt, uh, Booker T. Washington, how two American icons blazed a path to racial equality. I think it's a great American story. Hope you guys enjoy it on the big screen as well as the book. So before we get to Kellyanne, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It's serious betrayal. It's extremely frustrating. I know that the U.S. has come up with all sorts of proposals, but it's not what the Russians are after. The only problem is it's my life that's draining away. Why will he do this? It's five years. It's unfathomable to me that they left me behind. Paul Whelan, the Marine in Russia, suffering. Weakness. That's exactly how Joe Biden's foreign policy can be portrayed. Think about Ukraine. Never talks about it, never sells it, never explains it. Think about the bunch of thugs over in Yemen, the Houthi rebels rocketing our ships, re, uh, reconfiguring shipping lanes, plus another terrible hostage swap with Venezuela. And China tells us they'll take Taiwan when they're ready. This we got to change regimes. Number two. My mayor is blaming everyone except the person who needs to get the blame, and that is President Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, who are responsible for protecting and securing our borders and for having a functional immigration system. They're not calling out Secretary Mayorkas for letting asylum seekers come to this country under false pretense and then giving them court cases 10 years from now. Uh, That is 100 percent true. That is Raymond Lopez, an alderman from Chicago, a border overwhelmed, a president who could not care less. Blue cities that you just heard begin to pay a heavy price. They want things to change. And the CBP will not be going home for Christmas, but Congress will. Number one. I think this kind of action of stretching the law, taking these hyper aggressive positions to try to uh, knock Trump out of the race uh, are counterproductive. They backfire. Uh, Nobody doubts that. That is Bill Barr. Trump trials and persecutions. Huge Colorado Trump ban fallout as blue state radical judges try to ban Trump from the ballot. California trying to do the same thing. It's up to the Supreme Court to straighten everybody out. And Joe Biden gives an end of the year interview to Bill Muir. I'm sorry, Brett Baird. Oh, wait a second. Oh, it's Conan O'Brien. 
Kellyanne Conway joins us now, uh, former senior counselor of President Trump and author of the book, Here's the Deal, and from you call, one of the best pollsters in the country. Kellyanne, welcome back. Well, thank you, Brian. It's great to be with you and your listeners. Right. So uh, there's nothing wrong with doing light interviews. I really don't. I think it's great. It shows a side of your personality. For years ago, like in the 80s, I know it was so un- so unique. You don't see JFK doing a lot of that uh, back in the 60s on Kinescope. But your thought about what might have emerged from that interview? It's just silly. I mean, for a president whose favorability rating is 34 percent and he's outdone by one percentage point for his hapless VP, she's at 35 percent favorability. It really gets us no substance. It doesn't even get us any sizzle. And look, he can go talk to a comedian about this, that, and the other. But Conan O'Brien was trying to create sympathy for Joe Biden, going back to how marginalized Biden felt as a child because he stuttered or because he was made fun of. And my goodness, Art, he's the President of the United States Commander-in-Chief <laughs> now, Brian, and there are just crisis and chaos everywhere we look, at our southern border, in our streets, in our communities, at the gas pump, in the grocery store, and then everywhere we look abroad. Last night, I filled in for Sean Hannity on his uh, 9 p.m. Eastern show, and I interviewed Secretary Mike Pompeo, and I asked him squarely, are we going to have about one major foreign entanglement, foreign policy crisis a year under Biden? I want the listeners to hear that on your radio show today, Brian Kilme, because 2021, the chaotic uh, withdrawal from Afghanistan. 2022, Putin invades Ukraine. 2023, we know what happened with Israel and Gaza and Hamas. 2024, we may have uh, China, according to Xi Jinping, casually mentioning to Biden, by the way, I'm going to reunify Taiwan, which we would which we would use a different verb uh, militarily indeed. And so this is what's going on for the guy who's uh, who uh, former Obama Pentagon chief Bob Gates in 2014 warned us all. I think Biden has been wrong on nearly every major foreign policy and national security issue over the past four decades. Gates right. Guess what? The decade after 2014 hasn't been so hot either. The problem with it is he's now president of the United States. So if you're going to go on Conan O'Brien, at least have a substantive interview. Uh, metric wise, Joe Biden has only done nine sit down interviews, one on one interviews this calendar year. And he hasn't had a press conference to speak of in over 100 days here. Now, that's the problem, I see. Uh, In his first year, he had like seven or eight. Trump had 22, 24. That's what you need to do. I'm very proud that I worked in the White House, Brian, where we had what I call the democratization of information. If you make the principals, the senior staffers, the cabinet secretaries, and indeed the president and vice president available to the public on a regular basis, the public then increases its confidence in your competence. They at least know you're transparent. You're um, focused on the issues of the day. You can even disagree with the commander-in-chief and the president, so long as you know what's happening. And so um, in the Trump White House, we tried through social media, through constant interviews. I think I was with you on Fox and Friends at least once a week all through those four years. Brian, why? Because we want to make sure that people who aren't billionaires, who don't have access to politicians and government officials and highfalutin uh, postgraduate degrees, have the same access to information at the same time as everyone else. And that's the democratization right. of information. That's all been lost. Joe Biden, can't even, he can't even speak to the press. Um, usually, unless he's in those yellow chairs in the Oval Office because he needs a teleprompter and you can't have one in there. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's true, Kellyanne. Put it this way. It's a great opportunity if you're running for re-election to have the bully pulpit and you say, casually say, I'm going to update you on the country. But at the same time, you lay out your vision for the country while ripping your opponent. So listen to Conan O'Brien. He was. <laughs> I want your take on this. Cut five. 
as you know, the Washington you came to in the 1973, uh, Republicans were always tough on foreign policy, tough on Russia. And now MAGA Republicans, they've kind of flipped the script and uh, they're saying, well, we can let Ukraine go. It's not really uh, in our interest. And I don't understand it. It's confusing to me. Say, the other guy says, we can work with Putin. He's smart. Yeah. The other guy. I like that he's the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> He's like Voldemort now. His name <laughs> shall not be mentioned. What, what, he always says that. He never mentions the president by name, almost never. And then he, that even got a comedian to, to talk. What are your thoughts on that and his approach with that? I'm, I, I probably at this point, Brian, I'd rather be known as the, quote, other guy than be known as the big guy. <laughs> the one that's being referenced by my hapless, uh, drug-addled, corrupt son as he is complaining to his own daughter, Hunter Biden, complaining to his daughter that he's got to give Pop and the big guy a certain percentage of his ill-gotten gains from countries that are in the news every day, Brian Kilmeade, like China and Ukraine. So uh, the other thing is, if we're going to go back to 1973 and Joe Biden, then we're going to go back to a very different Joe Biden. He was pro-life then. He uh, was a much more moderate center-right, as was the Democratic Party, frankly. He also was in cahoots with uh, people like Bob Byrd, former senator of West Virginia, yeah, was. who was a Klansman. Um, but I don't think Conan O'Brien helped Joe Biden's case much by mentioning that Joe Biden was in Washington in 1973. So thank you, Conan O'Brien, for reminding us all he's been there for over half a century, and this is what we have to show for it. Um, the other thing is Biden's making a mistake by not mentioning Trump because he's castigating, denigrating his voters, the Trump voters, calling them mega maga, you know, deplorable, irredeemable. Um, insurrectionists, whatever negative trope they can lay at the feet of Trump voters. This is a mistake because that's how that's a, that's a vote multiplier. That's a turnout intensifier for not the Trump base, but the Trump base plus. And if you're Joe Biden, Brian, and you don't have your base right now, that very tenuous, very odd um, base that you base of voters that you scaffolded together. Right fairly late in the game in 2020 to win the first time. He doesn't have that now. He's got fewer young people, fewer voters of color. Well, you know what he's doing, many, Kelly. Many fewer independents. Yep. Kelly, and you know what he's doing. Yeah, he's going to do the same thing that Barack Obama did to Mitt Romney, only he's going to be more aggressive. He's going to make Donald Trump the worst person in the world, uh, will absolutely destroy the country, destroy the, the ruin our relationship with our allies, totally unacceptable. You'll have no choice but to vote for him. If it, knowing that that's going to happen, they basically said it. What do you tell Trump to fight back on? Well, Trump mentions Biden. See, they're doing the opposite thing. Trump long ago pivoted to a general election strategy, Brian. He didn't show up for the primary debates. He sometimes talks about the primary opponents if he has to, if somebody asks him or he's having a little fun with it. But by and large, he's been running against Biden for a while. Okay. And he's putting up his presidential record against Biden's. So Biden ought to do that, too. Look, it worked on Romney because after the first debate, which Romney clearly won against Obama, a lot of the Obama, Romney people told him, you know, just wait out the clock. You know, you're going to beat Obama. Don't make any errors. And I thought he was a little more limp in those, those subsequent two debates. Um, but the difference here is Trump has a presidential record. So when you're Romney or McCain or anyone for that matter, you're promising what you would do. Trump has an advantage. He's saying, no, 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 don't go by what I'm promising to do. Go by what I delivered and compare that to Biden on every single issue. See, Tr Biden's going to run this on personality. Trump's going to run it on policy. I hope. I mean, right now he's running it on policy. and He's doing very well. 
So I think that's the way to tackle Biden. And look, the other thing to do is to make sure that we can engage toe-to-toe against the Democrat machine, the turnout machine they have now. They own the mechanics right now. I'm glad the RNC has bank your vote. I'm glad President Trump has endorsed that. I hope these individual states, if not counties, Brian, are on the job. You have to invest in what I call the non-sexy parts of politics, ballot access, ballot harvesting where it's legal, making sure people know not just for whom to vote and why to vote policy and philosophically, but where to vote, when to vote, and how to vote, meaning which method. That's all changed in the last couple of years. Right now, the Democrats, somebody like Fetterman beating Oz four to one in the early vote. Oz with his two million votes on election day, that's impressive. You cannot possibly make up a four to one disadvantage on one day election day. So we got to get people out early and we got to make sure that they have confidence in casting their ballot. Absolutely. So we're going to see that. What about Trump's terms that people keep pointing to? Hey, Hitler says that poison or uh, what he's talking about the border. Do you look at that as an unforced error or just an example of the press trying anything to make Donald Trump the story or both? Well, I work with Donald Trump. He's not Hitler. Um, I don't like I don't think imploring or, or ever mentioning certain words and figures is advisable. Uh, but I'll say this. I, the second part of what you said is important. The media, of course, they're going to do anything to get rid of him because they have no shame. They None of them ever lost their jobs for getting 2016 so achingly wrong. I mean, it's just embarrassing. They all embarrassed themselves. No one lost their jobs. That's not what happens in the mainstream media. So here they are eight years later thinking they got rid of this guy. They impeached him twice at January 6th and all these indictments. And and here he is. He's beating Biden in all the swing states. Nationwide polling, sure, but that's less relevant than the swing state polling. So sure, they'll say and do anything they can. Here's the, here's the rub. When um, when President Trump gives you an interview or most recently did an hour long town hall with um, with uh, Fox News, Sean Hannity in Iowa, when he had that earlier conversation last May with the CNN's Caitlin Collins, the difference between what the media hear and they pick up on one phrase or one line or one paragraph in an entire hour-long interview, and what the people hear could not be more fundamentally opposite. So with Caitlin Collins, I forget what Trump said, but everybody focused on the same thing in the media. They were obsessed with it. The Sean Hannity thing, oh, he's going to be dictator, but just for a day, oh, my God, he's going to put people in jail and destroy democracy and all sundry lists of nonsense. What the people heard was drill, baby, drill, and fewer regulations and lower taxes and more um, solid justice, more justices, ju- judges on our federal courts who believe in the Constitution won't do what the Colorado Supreme Court just did. And, so, and it goes on and on. So the difference is always what the media hear and pick up on, like, lemming, predictably lemming-like, you know, running with one phrase for three weeks and calling it breaking news, which by definition can't possibly be breaking news if you've been vomiting it for three weeks in your headlines and bylines. And then what the people hear. They hear policy. Hear yeah. Uh Kellyanne, right now, if you uh, look at Iowa, the president's up considerably. But in New Hampshire, even though he's got a lead, you see Nikki Haley basically doubling where she was uh, six weeks ago, two months ago. How would you gauge the Governor Haley threat to Trump? So the Governor Haley threat to Trump is if she got him one-on-one, if DeSantis dropped out, if Christie dropped out and endorsed her, and then maybe, you know, maybe it was just a one-on-one. But it's still, it's probably too little too late. And if, in fact, it is, it, it looks like too little, too late. And even if she were to win New Hampshire, the big test for her is to go down to South Carolina, the state where she was governor, until she left early to be Trump's U.N. ambassador. 
Um, I know she never bothers to say, she says I was the UN ambassador, but she never bothers to say who put her there. Um, so that's important. But look, uh, she, she's got to go down to South Carolina and stop Trump there. I will tell you the Trump campaign is pretty bold that they can wrap this all up by March 19th, which would put them roughly seven or eight weeks ahead of where they were in 2016 when he wrapped it up on May 7th in Indiana. And that March 19th being Super Tuesday. So again, he's already pivoted to a general election strategy. Uh, I know that Governor Sununo, um, you know, endorsed Nikki Haley in New Hampshire, and, and maybe that'll count for something. I don't know how much these endorsements really matter, but everybody who's running has always tried to be the alternative to Trump. I think they've made an error. They should be the alternative to Biden. DeSantis should have said that from the beginning. Haley should be saying that now. They still seem just a little too focused on Trump. You say, well, Kelly, they have to beat him in the primary. Got it. I understand how these things work. But the way that I think they would, they would have been able to just strike a little bit more gold had they made this about Biden and done the, the, the one-on-one against Biden. Because let's face it, the Republican primary electorate, which includes a lot of independents in these states where they qualify to vote, crossover and vote, Brian, that's, that's solidly for Trump. And I think that they're struggling to get enough to animate and electrify enough of the Republican primary electorate base that they mm-hmm. haven't even tried to move over and get some of those swing voters who voted for Biden. I'll say this. There are a lot of people who voted for Biden who are going to vote for Trump in a general election. I can't think of many Trump voters who are going to vote for Biden. And that's really the problem here. And I think that's what people are looking at. They're saying the electability argument that was supposed to help the Sanders, supposed to help Nikki, it's gone. It's totally gone. And that's the thing that was always supposed to be vexing and perplexing to Trump. Kellyanne, are you hosting for Hattery tonight? I am. I'm guest hosting for Sean Hannity tonight. We had a great lineup last right. night, and we're going to have a good one tonight for the sequel. Thank you. All right. Kellyanne Conway tonight at 9. Back in a moment. The fastest growing talk show in America. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Yeah, we just got a few minutes here. Just go to briankilmeade.com. And I want to be able to see you in Juliet, Illinois. It's going to be January 21st at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And we're going to just talk about uh, America great from the start. Inspirational, patriotic, motivational. It's a, would, I love Carly Shimkus's term today. Uh, immersive. We have skits. We bring uh, pa- uh, parts of American history to life in a fun way. Take your questions. Interactive. And it's going to be uh, the only one on the schedule right now is the 21st. And I hear Juliet, Illinois is fantastic. I couldn't believe how quick this, the tickets are going, so I want you to grab them. I'm hopefully we're going to sell out quickly, uh, and then we're going to stream it on Fox Nation, too. So if you can't get there, uh, it'll be streaming, but there's nothing like being in the studio. Also, VIP opportunities, I could talk to you and meet you before and get your personal questions, and I could personalize your book then. Dr. Nicole Sapphire next, Brian Kilmeade Show. Fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. You've seen it all over the channel. Uh, not, I'm saying it's too much. I say it's just perfect, and you're going to see a lot more of her. Dr. Nicole Sapphire, who full time is a medical uh, is a medical doctor and plays it on TV. Uh, she's a Fox News medical contributor here. Has a great column out talking about the holidays. Everyone's talking about family get-togethers. You see these great Folgers commercials and these great depictions of Christmas albums and Christmas specials. And you see all this fun. 
And what if you're somebody without a great family or any family? What if you don't fit those molds? What does it do for depression? What does it do for your self-esteem? What does it do for your life? She writes about that in a column on foxnews.com, and she talks about it here now. Dr. Sapphire, welcome back. Hey, Brian. Great to be on you before the holidays. I know. And we did work together with Tyrus's version of late night television on Saturday night. Yeah, we sure did. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I kind of I like the chemistry on the couch. It's fun doing Saturday night together. Right, I know. I thought it was great. And, uh, you know, Tyrus was OK, too. Um, and he was uh, he does a great job at night. So, Dr. Sapphire, you had an interesting angle. What made you say to yourself, I, I got to show someone some of the dark side of what could be happening uh, on this holiday season? Well, you know, I think everybody has battled in sometime during their life, you know, feelings of, you know, not being tip-top shape mentally. So whether you're feeling sad, you're feeling worried, or you're just feeling, you know, frustrated or in a rut, you know, just because it's the holiday spirit and you hear Christmas carols and, you know, bright lights everywhere, that doesn't mean that everyone is really in that Christmas spirit. And now that doesn't mean that we should shut down Christmas because we don't want to make anybody feel bad. But I just think it's really important that we also recognize that there are some people that are struggling, and especially during the holidays. You know, for me, Christmas, uh, New Year's, the entire holiday season is all about together. I want to spend as much time as possible with my friends and family. I love getting together. But some people don't necessarily have that. And as we have seen increasingly over the last few years, the the importance of family, that family unit, is becoming less and less important to these younger generations. And so it's really a call to action of, hey, everyone, you need to remember that your family is always going to be there. You should do anything you can to kind of rekindle that magic, whether you've had a falling out, you know, whether you're separated, do what you can. But that feeling of togetherness, we have to bring that back. Yeah, you you point to a Pew Research uh, study that shows the public cannot even agree on what the family unit is. Forty percent feel pessimistic about its future. More Americans now point to their job, 71 percent or friends, 61 percent as the place they find fulfillment rather than having kids at 26%. We've been seeing that more and more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, you know, millennials, Gen Z, or whatever the heck these terms are these days, you know, people are saying we're going to have kids later. Maybe we're not going to have kids at all. We're only going to have one kid because they're, it's bad for the environment. I mean, come on. You know, the most important thing that you can do, and not necessarily everyone needs to have children, But to preserve that family and that family unit is so crucial for us as a society moving forward. I mean, we've really lost sight of what our values are and what they should be. Right. You you point to your uh, you and your son wrote a book, a children's book called uh, That's What Family's For. What, What prompted that and what was the message that can help today? Yeah, so about a year and a half ago, and we haven't talked much about this, but about a year and a half ago, my son was given a medical diagnosis that kind of rocked our world, to be honest. Uh, certainly, wasn't we weren't expecting it, and it comes with some long-term consequences. And, you know, both parents, myself and my husband, being physicians, you know, being being a parent is hard. Being a physician parent is really hard because you have maybe some intricate knowledge that other people may not Um, So we really shut down. But that was a time where we realized the most important thing to us was being together as a family. So all of a sudden, you know, parents, our kids, we all kind of rallied around my son to just make sure he knew that we were all there for him. And maybe 
future is going to look a little bit different than we're expecting. But the bottom line is, as long as we have each other, we're going to be there and we're going to all be okay as long as we're in it together. One thing I did notice, if anyone's struggling with addiction or things like that, the holidays are the worst because the stress is when they feel they might be evaluated or they know that they're not going to be hitting their marks because have they been working against themselves with whatever substance uh, they're wrestling with or whatever behavior of uh, gambling on down. So have you seen that and taught you just from others, whether it's your medical profession or real life, if you do have some type of addiction that you're dealing with, it really gets challenging now. Certainly addiction, mental health illness during the holidays are terrible. You have a lot of people who are even just alcohol. There's more social events and there's just more temptation. And so people who know that they are struggling with addiction, you know, not saying that you have to avoid all holiday parties, but make sure you're surrounding yourself by people who support you and who are aware of your struggles and try not to fall into some of those dangers and make sure you're leaning on people, friends, families, and those who are there for you. And don't go look for any sort of satisfaction um, in superficial findings right and professional people and things just a quick thing about what you deal with on a daily basis you have to often go up to people and you're the first one to tell them they have cancer and does that give you a perspective on life that maybe people not in your profession uh wouldn't experience well yeah so i mean tomorrow morning i have you know about five biopsies scheduled that means i'm going to have their pathology the day after christmas and i can guarantee you a couple of those biopsies are going to be cancer and you know, these are certainly difficult uh, words to hear, especially around the holidays. And, you know, again, all I can say is you're, people, when they feel that they're alone, that is when things start to spiral out of control. And so you have to lean on those around you because there's a huge support system, family, friends, even, cell, you know, groups who are going through the same thing you are. You can't be afraid to lean on those for support because that is what we are social creatures. If you look in the blue zones, the areas where people live the longest, it's because they have strong social connections. It is crucial for mental and physical health to lean on those around you. Gotcha. Uh, Doc Sapphire, do you have a list and do you hope that is this really for you more about getting everything on your list you want to receive? Is that true more than more than uh, give? I love giving Christmas time. And I'm telling you, Brian, we just moved into a new house this weekend. Uh-huh. This so weekend. Only, wow. Yeah, it's been it's been a lot. I'm, kids had the flu, COVID, <laughs> the stomach bug. I mean, we've got it all. But I'll tell you, all I really care about this Christmas season is that everyone is happy and healthy. And I would love if there was a little chocolate under the Christmas tree. That's it. Maybe a bottle of champagne. I understand. Uh, So what are you going to be hosting now? Are you going to be on uh, the big show this weekend? No, I'm actually hosting Fox and Friends, stepping in for Rachel this weekend. And then the big show the following weekend. Wow, that's going to be exciting. I know you're going to be ready for it and um, in all aspects. And the, the good news is there's, the news doesn't slow down because it's the holidays. So you're definitely going to have your hands full. Dr. Sapphire, you move into a house, host two shows over the weekend, dealing with COVID. There's nothing you can't handle. I mean, you know, Brian, I'm just trying to keep up with you. Right. Uh, we're exactly the same, except you went ahead and did that easy thing called medical school. <laughs> you could have done it. I'm sure you could have. Yeah, it was just a matter of time. Uh, Dr. Sapphire, thanks so much. Appreciate it. 
Thanks for having me, Ryan. All right, Nicole. Uh, listen, we come back. I'll be able to take some of your calls, one 408 7669 Go to com too. Click on comments. You also can join the Culper Club. I'm setting up this. We set up this thing on locals where we're setting up our own unit where I can post some interesting content, answer your questions directly if you become a member. So you could always do that. You could get that on my website, BrianKilme.com. A lot, a lot going on. Don't move. Honest commentary, unique opinions, no agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Santa would drop off some. And there's a lot of kids watching up, right? I'm just just saying. So, So what you're telling me, Brian... Is that my dad took credit for Santa's work? That's what I'm saying. Wow! Right, and, the, and he's a lovely that man. I, I met him last year. Yeah, but he, he was taking credit. He right. wasn't being totally. Which honest is not at like him. It is not like him. That's not it's, like him. Yeah, it's yeah. not like him. Thank you. <laughs> Big save. The, on the Marion Rivera. You know what? I, I got to tell you this. Rivera of the show. You, Big I, save. I, you are a wingman. You know, that's what you do as the face of the show. You saved me. <laughs> I did. In the moment where I was getting ready to blow right. up something. I'm no middle reliever. Yeah. I'm a closer. <laughs> I'm, a sa- I, I'm a saver. This, this may be a Shaq and, you know. And Kobe? And Kobe relationship <laughs> in the making. Right. You're 7-1 and yeah. I'm not. <laughs> uh, that, of course, was we were talking about our youth uh, when Santa we used to come and the excitement that kids had. And Lawrence misremembered his youth. He absolutely misremembered, and you helped clarify that for him right. and all of your viewers. Because we have families things. listening to the show right now in the car. Exactly. And they might be going Christmas shopping right now. Yes. And Santa cannot get enough credit. And Lawrence Santa, was in, Lawrence misremembered his youth. He totally misremembered it, and Santa has so much magic, and Christmas morning is... Right. You just have to thank Santa for everything. Exactly. Why wouldn't we? <laughs> I know. It was pointed out to me. I love this. Uh, it was pointed out to me that there's only six reindeer that go around the tree. We have this animation that goes around the tree, and I'm getting people writing me saying, what's with the six reindeer? And I'm thinking to myself, what are you talking about? I thought they were living. You were missing two plus Rudolph. They are. I mean, graphics, like someone should call graphics on the carpet and be like, what? It is amazing to have Santa go around a real tree. It It was pretty amazing. That is, I will say, the first time I saw that, I was very impressed. It, it really was magical to see it. It's great. Right. But we should make it right. If we're going to go that far, we should make it. They need to count the Rangers properly. Right. I mean, who do you have? You have Blitzen. You have, you uh, have Dash, Donna. Dasher and Dancer. Dancer. Dancer Prancer. Vixen. Vixen. Comet, Cupid, Donna, Vixen. I got That's too eight. many. I got like 10. <laughs> Your fingers you, and counting. Did you name two? No, I had I know. I started counting my way, and then yes. you started doing it the sing-along way. Because that's the way, the best way to remember. Right. Let me ask something. Yes. Scenario, before Rudolph, mm-hmm. how does Santa get through without that nose? I, I think mean, like, Mother do Nature. We even, do we even know? Mother Nature always cooperated, and it wasn't foggy. It was a clear night, so they didn't right. need the nose. Right. You're welcome. It's also, some people are upset with the Rudolph story because it shows bullying. You know that, right? Yes, but then they, it helped him find his inner voice, and he overcame it, and he had Which great is determination. Good. He didn't live by being the victim. He powered through, and now he's the leader. A lot of people think that we, this might be controversial, but we need a little bullying when you're young because it gets you stronger. Some, well, of, the, some, of, the most, some of the most fascinating people were bullied young. Could Yes. That's, one way to I'm bullying, not pro-bully. But, no, but maybe, uh, maybe what you meant to say was 
everyone needs to fail a little bit so they can overcome it and right. know what it feels like and the, the uh, feeling of success when you overcome some failure. Uh, it reminded me of this movie that's so underrated. Not my, not the Rocky. Kevin Costner bodyguard. Do you remember my bodyguard? Uh, my bodyguard. No, now, Pete's not here. I'm sure Pete remembers. Pete would remember. He would. Um, but it was a story of this, this little kid, and he's getting beat up all the time. And the other guy decides to guard him, and then the, they finally find somebody that intimidated the bodyguard. And not only does a little kid step up and step up with his nemesis, but the bodyguard steps up against somebody else. So it's a good story where, in the end, other kids get beat up. It sounds like a, a great holiday movie. Right. Yeah, I don't know necessarily about the holidays. You might want to wait till January 2nd to watch that. But we all know the best holiday movie. Um, oh, what is it? With uh... Fred Claus. Oh, that's right. Right. I mean, to me, it has everything. It has, what do you do when your older brother is more famous than you? Which your younger brother, or your brothers need to... I guess. Well, Vince Vaughn oh, yeah. uh, plays the other brother. He plays Fred Claus. And the best scene ever is the uh, therapy where all brothers of famous people like Frank Stallone, Stephen Baldwin, uh, Vince Vaughn as Santa Claus. I mean, if we, ever, if we ever had that moment, you could play that back. It is so underrated in terms of comedy. We but, will get it for next or maybe for tomorrow. Okay, good. But, um, yeah, I... I have not seen Fred Claus, but to, um, Pete with the win, Matt Dillon and Adam Baldwin, I'm guessing maybe Alec, uh, were in My Bodyguard. Does that sound right? Matt Dillon? Matt Dillon. Matt in, Dillon, in, he was the one writing something. I remember Matt Dillon. Matt Dillon would have been the bully. Oh, yeah, Matt Dillon was the bully. Oh, Pete, Pete knows his movie trivia. All right, so Pete just wrote you? He did. All right, so yeah, so Matt Dillon is a perfect bully. He's, he, he's in, he reminds me of like the typical bully guy. Could Neil McDonough have played the bully or no? Because he does play villains. He would have been too old. This is kids. This is kids. Gotcha. All right. So I want to play. So Conan O'Brien sits down with the President of the United States. And I just, I didn't read that. I didn't see it, so I read it. So I want you to hear. This is what worries me about the President. It's not that he's old. It's that he acts even older. He actually tells the same story within three minutes. Cut four. My mother used to say, remember, Joey. The best drop of blood in you is Irish. My mother was five foot one. She was everybody's mother confessor. I had a mother and a father that uh, my mother would say, don't let this define you. My mother, God love her, I remember going to identify my family. He actually said, Joey, out of everything terrible, something good will happen if you look hard enough for it. I thought it was the cruelest thing she ever said to me. So, uh, yeah, it's all over the place. I don't know if I'm Conan O'Brien, I'm thinking to myself, I've done a lot of interviews. I can't even keep up with this guy. Cut three. My mother, God love her, I remember going to identify my family. He actually said, Joey, out of everything terrible, something good will happen if you look hard enough for it. I thought it was the cruelest thing she ever said to me. Yeah. But look what's going on in the Middle East now. Yeah. You know, I was able to get a resolution passed through the G20, leaders of the 20 largest nations, to build a railroad from Riyadh all the way through into Saudi Arabia, Jordan, up through Israel, all the way into Europe. Because there's much more reason for them to be together than to be apart. What is he talking about? I mean, they're talking about it wasn't his idea to do a railroad. They talked about eventually linking it up. They didn't commit to do a railroad. Number two, why are you repeating the same story within three minutes? That is insane to me. But, I mean, why are they just having him go on with comedians as opposed to sitting down with other people? They're thinking he's going to screw up less, and yet he's still screwing up. Right. It's it's incredible. I mean, I have I actually feel a little different than Kellyanne Conway 
if you, I have no problem with this interview and picking Conan O'Brien to do a person. There's nothing wrong with it. You do a personal, you do a personal look. You talk more about the person because if I'm him and I'm looking for reelection, you want to get people reacquainted with who you are and less of your decisions. But then you have to sit down with a Brett Bear, Bill Muir, right after, and just say, you know, I'm going to, or if you don't want to do that, do a press conference. And you watch, remember Barack Obama used to sit there in a press conference. In an hour, he would take four questions because he would take it over, barely answer the question, and then talk about Obamacare or how bad Republicans are. And that's how he launched his reelection. It was fr- it was frustrating. But now you have a guy calling on reporters and he's reading his cards on the answer, on the answer. This is unbelievable. You know what they'd be doing? They'd have a drone camera from Blue Origin, Jeff Bezos' Blue Origin, over Donald Trump's shoulder in order to see what his notes said. Incredible. I mean, it, it, it is. But, but he you can't end out. the year without an interview. He has to do an interview. I mean, but does it look like he's going to? No, it doesn't. But the sad thing is, too, like, I know a lot of smart people that they just don't follow the news. I was with them. They didn't even know about the Hunter Biden stuff. I'm like, come Are on. Are you kidding? But it's also like it doesn't get covered as much as it should. But then also because of the way the media is today, like everything's so segmented and people don't have the attention span. So we think it's all over, but there's still so many people that don't follow it at all. Right. But a couple of things. That's what made his press conference so detrimental to the White House. That made other outlets cover it. When a, when a Hunter Biden calls a press conference and then makes all the accusations and wax poorly about they want to kill my dad, you have to cover it. That's why they want him just to go away. But he is too selfish or on some level wants to destroy his dad. I'm not psychologically smart enough to figure that one out. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.